Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Snow Show Podcast. I'm your host, Phil Snow, just your average Joe here talking about sports, um, all good things sports, live sports. Uh, it's a pleasure to be with you here on this beautiful Tuesday night. You know, I tried to get to you guys yesterday, uh, but I, uh, unfortunately some things happened that were I uh, wasn't able to do that. Uh, so it's a pleasure to be back with you guys here tonight. Um, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about some stuff that happened over the weekend, uh, you know, to talk a little bit about some stuff that's going on in the MLB, you know, with the deal that's going on there, trying to get their season back together and trying to get them to, uh, you know, be, to be able to have some kind of season. Uh, we're also going to go over a little bit of the NFL. I told you we'd start doing some divisions today, and uh, we are going to do that as well. Also, uh, a, a very interesting this day in history and my alphabet starting lineup in six man as well. So uh, excited to bring you guys the episode tonight. So we're uh, we're going to get kicked off here uh, with a little bit of stuff that happened over the weekend. And uh, if you paid any attention to it, you know, the race happened uh, at NASCAR, you know, at Bristol, you know, with Brad Keselowski winning again, you know, the second race he's won in a matter of a week. So, you know, he's just putting on a show right now in the NASCAR world. You know, Brad Keselowski led 115 laps uh, to, to round out the top five. Clint Boyer finished second. Jimmy Johnson finished third. And I just want to note uh, that Jimmy Johnson finishing third after that disqualification there in the Coca-Cola 600. I think that's an incredible bounce back, especially for a race at Bristol. Uh, you know, especially for, again, like I said, that, that he got disqualified after the race there uh, at the Coca-Cola 600. Um, if you don't remember me mentioning that, he had some uh, things wrong with his car there that caused him to uh, to be disqualified uh, during the post-race ex- uh, inspection. Kyle Busch finished fourth, and Eric Jones finished fifth. Uh, you know, Denny Hamlin led 131 laps of this race. He finished 17th. You know, there was a uh, a crash that actually happened in front of Brad Keselowski. So, you know, it kind of seemed as if this wind just kind of fell in his lap. Uh, you know, they were running a good car for most of the day. Uh, you know, like I said, he led 115 laps, so it wasn't like he snuck in there to win, uh, not leading very many laps. He was at the at the lead for most of the race. You know, he was at the front of the pack for most of the race. Uh, you know, and there in the last lap and a half, lap and a turn, Chase Elliott and Joey Logano, who had the one-two at the time, uh, you know, Chase Elliott kind of got into Logano a little bit and uh, it pushed him into the wall, spun him out, if you will, and uh, which causes Joey Logano to finish 21st and Chase Elliott to finish 22nd. And uh, Joey Logano, you know, very, very unhappy after the race, uh, basically saying that, you know, uh, Chase Elliott wrecked him and to be a man and say that he was sorry to him, uh, you know, and then, you know, after that, Chase Elliott had came on and said that he was sorry and, you know, saying that he he would step up and say that he did the wrong there. Uh, so obviously not something that you want to see, but, you know, great for Brad Keselowski to get this win. Uh, you know, I know he, that he had talked uh, to uh, Mike uh, Golick and Wingo uh, our Mike and Golik, or Mike and uh, Trey Wingo on, on Golik and Wingo, you know, saying that everything had just been crazy, that he was enjoying the season, and you know that might come with more wins, uh, but you, but you know the season has been crazy with everything that's been going on. We've ran so many races, you know, and now we're trying to move on uh, to where we can get some races in some different places as well. I know the NASCAR has okayed to race in Pocono and Virginia with no fans, so that's something to keep in mind. Uh, you know, you're probably going to see a, big, a bigger race in Pocono usually they raced the Pocono 400 there uh, during the regular season but as you know nothing is really the same you know compared to what's been going on with what's been going on with the COVID-19 uh, so 
So it's going to be interesting to see what happens with that as well. You know, the next big race Sunday, June 7th uh, at, at Atlanta Motor Speedway, you know, that'll be a big race as well. You know, this is kind of going to be their longest layoff, you know, going going from the Sunday race to the Sunday race. They had raced the previous two Wednesdays, so they were running Sunday, Wednesday, Sunday, Wednesday. Mm-hmm. So that in itself uh, is pretty interesting. So this is the most layoff they're going to have. And, you know, when you think about all this, you got to really consider the fact that these guys are not running any practice rounds. They're not doing any of that stuff that they would normally do. Now they show up, they race, and they go home. Uh, you know, before they were running practices and, and running the track and trying to make sure that they had the track and everything all figured out and everything with that. So, um you know, I just think that with all that being said, I think that NASCAR is putting on a good show. And again, I think it was big for Jimmy Johnson to bounce back like he did and finish third in this bigger race here at Bristol uh, with what happened to him at the at the bigger race in the Coca-Cola 600. So, you know, that's something interesting to keep an eye on. I hope that Jimmy Johnson can move forward and, you know, end up finding that first win in, in 100 plus races, something that seemed to have been eluded him this season and, and recently in time. So, you know, I think that's interesting as well. So, uh, you know, I just want to go over the NASCAR standings with you right now. You know, Joey Logano being wrecked like that. You know, I'm sure he's upset about that because right now he's in first place. And really, Brad Keselowski's the second closest, and that's not very close. So if Joey Logano uh, was able to seal this win, you know, he would have been able to seal a very big margin of victory in the standings right now. And I think that that's really kind of, you know, why he's so irked about this crash is because, you know, if he wins this race at Bristol, he's going to get major points uh, you know Brad Keselowski winning the race and he's being in second you know you know kind of helps him get gain some ground on him and, and I'm sure he's not happy about that so you know Brad Keselowski second third is Denny Hamlin fourth is Kevin Harvick and fifth is Chase Elliott which you know Chase Elliott same boat he wins that race you know maybe he jumps to fourth and third on the standings you, you know a lot of a lot of things come into play there so you know I'm pretty sure that wreck was it was affected for both of them uh, but, you know, again, you know, Joey Logano very upset, obviously, after the race, saying that uh, he was wrecked by Chase Elliott. So hopefully, you know, everything's good there and, and you're not going to uh, find a bunch of bad blood because, you know, with everything that's going on, we don't want that in the sport. We want it to be clean. We want good races. Uh, so that's one thing that I really hope doesn't happen. Um, like I said, next race, Sunday, June 7th. Uh, in Atlanta. I look forward to it being a good race as well. I think these guys are really going to enjoy, you know, having that little bit of extra time off. I know that there's some traveling involved in that. uh, But with that being said, they're going to have more time for downtime. They're going to have more time to relax and uh, maybe do some more preparations on the car that they wouldn't have been able to do uh, in the scenario of, you know, them racing on a Wednesday, you know, so so maybe we're going to see the best race of the season so far. Uh, this upcoming Sunday just because of the time off that they're going to have and preparation that they're going to be ha- uh, be able to have uh, to, to run this race in Atlanta. And I think that's going to be something interesting to think about uh, as we go forward with this because you know, you're going to start seeing more of just the Sunday races rather than the Wednesday, Sunday. I think they wanted to try to get as many in in those two states as possible that they were in Charlotte there. <clears throat> so, you know, I think that's kind of what they were trying to do with that. But But for the most part, I think the NASCAR is going in the right direction here. They're expanding to bigger states. They're going to have bigger races, bigger venues, which is going to pull in a little bit more revenue for them, which is, you know, obviously is affecting every sport right now. So uh, NASCAR doing the right thing. <clears throat> Excited to see what this weekend brings with them having some time off. And hopefully, you know, we see some excitement down there in Atlanta this weekend. You know, I kind of want to talk about the UFC as well. <clears throat> this past weekend we had 
the Burns and Woodley fight, which, you know, statistically, this fight was actually very interesting to break down. Um, Burns defeated Woodley uh, in a unanimous decision. Uh, it was pretty embarrassing, really, for Woodley. Uh, he only landed 65 strikes. While Burns um, landed 156 strike, Burns at 19 and three, Woodley at 19 five and one. <clears throat> you know, it got pretty ugly quick. You know, it just it just kind of seemed as if, you know, Woodley was a little bit timid in the ring. Uh, maybe he wasn't ready for the primetime fight. Um, you know, maybe. You know, and I I firmly believe that's in the UFC. I really think them having no fans in the arena is really huge for what's going on in the UFC because I think fighters respond to the fans and the reactions that they give. You know, if you make a big shot and you get a big crowd reaction, you know, you're more likely going to see that fighter uh, try to engage a little more to to maybe engage that knockdown, which is something they normally wouldn't do if you don't have those fans in there to, uh, to you know, egg that on. And I think this is something for all the fights that you're going to see coming up in the UFC. And this is something that I want to talk about with UFC 250 this Saturday night in Vegas with Nunez and Spencer. Amanda Nunez, one of the greatest women fighters in the sport. Uh, she's a great fighter. Uh, she's hard as, or tough as tough as nails. Uh, you know everything she does. Uh, you know she represents the sport of UFC well. And you know I just I don't think Spencer is going to be able to handle this. She's eight and one. She's only had nine professional fights in, to Nunez, and I think Nunez is going to have a quick day with this. Um, UFC 250. The prelims start at eight o'clock on ESPN. There's early prelims or ESPN Plus, excuse me. There's early prelims on at six o'clock as well. Uh, there's a lot of fights on this weekend. So if you're if you're not doing th- anything on Saturday, pull up your ESPN Plus. You can watch fights from six to ten. When the pay per view starts at ten o'clock, uh, when you start seeing these better fights with Nunez and Spencer, obviously being the main one, <clears throat> you know, you know, I think you're going to see a lot of good things in the UFC this weekend. And and I think you're going to see some good fights, and I think that's what we need to keep seeing in the UFC. You know, and, and with the, with the with the turmoil that's kind of been going on between Dana White and and John Jones, with John Jones wanting all that money uh, to to go play or to go for uh, to go for the hired uh, weight class, he wants a lot of money. And basically, what Dana White's saying is that he's not going to get it, no matter no matter how hard he tries to get that number that he wants. It's not going to happen. You know, UFC is the only sport where the athletes are not uh, publicized with what the money they make is. You know, you you see in the NFL all these athletes, hey, we got a, a this so and so deal for this amount of money, <clears throat> and I think. You know, I think that's something that's interesting. And Dana White's came out and said it's 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 none of their business. You know, he's basically saying if the fighter wants to tell you how much money they make, they can tell you, and and the fighters don't tell you. Uh, and, and I don't and I don't see the issue with it. I, I really don't see the issue here. You know, those fighters. Uh, you know, people say those fighters get underpaid, and I'm sure if we knew the exact number of what they were getting paid for the fight, and the pay per view, and the promotion of the fight, and all those things, you know, put together. You know, I think that we would say that they're that they're paid correctly. And when you think about athletes that are overpaid, you got to look at baseball more than anything. You know, these guys are raking in the ten-year, four hundred million dollar deals. You know, you're looking at a lot of money a season. And you know, the UFC guys, you know, they make their money on fights. And the UFC guys only f- don't fight but a handful of times all season. <clears throat> you know, when you get these. Baseball athletes, you're talking about a 162 game season. UFC, you don't have those appearances. 
So the money that they make is all coming from outside revenue as well as their fights. Now, I get that they're going to make money for their fights. They get money for stepping in their ring. They get money for the promotion of their fights, <clears throat> which is probably where most of the money comes from in the revenue. But they're not giving any revenue from ticket sales. They're, they're not getting that other stuff right now. So you don't know if UFC in itself is taking a pay cut or if they're kind of just saying, hey, each day on the fans and seeing what happens. It'll be interesting to see if UFC brings fans back in the rest of this year at all. I, I personally don't know if it'll happen. I know that there are states that are pushing to get percentages of fans in their stadiums, and I think that's great, but I just, you know, I don't know if there's going to be a way that it's all going to work out the way that everybody wants it to. And it's just, it's just something that, you know, we have to keep in mind. And it's something that we have to keep in mind heavy because. You know, look, the, the UFC is doing what, you know, is doing the, it was the first person, was the first sport to go out there and start after all this happened. So you got to give kudos to the UFC and Dana White's doing a, a fantastic job with the UFC. Look where it started to look where it's came with, with what Dana White is doing has been phenomenal. Uh, I, I love what the UFC has become. You know, I, I wish there'd be a little less, you know, drama involved but but even that's gotten a little bit better with Dana White but you know all in all I, th- I like what the UFC's doing and I hope that they keep putting on these good fights I think this Nunez Spencer is kind of a, a little bit in my opinion a disappointing UFC 250 <clears throat> but I know farther down the road they're they're talking about Habib fighting you know they're talking about all those you know great UFC fighters stepping in the ring again <clears throat> you know I'd love to see Cowboy get in the ring you know after getting after getting beat up pretty good there by <clears throat> Conor McGregor, I'd love to see McGregor but get back in the ring. I know Jorge Masvidal is biting at the bit to get back in the ring. So I just want to see those bigger guys get back in the ring and see what happens. I know they're anxious as well to get back in it. So, you know, I just think it's something that we should push towards <clears throat> getting those guys <clears throat> in the ring as soon as possible. Um, try to Maybe try to get some fans in there. You know, I think <clears throat> this UFC right now without fans is a lot different than what we'd be seeing if there were fans. You can tell me that I'm wrong. I firmly believe that some of those fights may be, may be a different story if there's a crowd. If, if, you know, if you're not doing so well and your crowd's behind you and they're trying to pump you up, you know, you're going to respond to that. And you don't have that going on right now in the UFC. And I think that's crucial. And it's really making a difference in some of these fights. And I think where you're not going to see this much of a difference at is maybe in some of those higher card fights with Masvidal and Nurgan Demenov and, and, you know, Conor McGregor and all those guys out there like that. You know, I don't think you're going to find that the fans are going to affect them as much. Maybe, maybe Conor McGregor, you know, he feeds a little bit off the crowd strength. But, you know, all in all, these guys have to find it within themselves to go out there and fight. You know, the only people that are really backing you up are in your corner. You can hear everything your corner is saying, which I also think – you know, is a big difference from them guys having to scream in your ear. You know, I know the other guy on the on the other side of the ring is hearing that, so you have to try to work around them kind of knowing your strategy as well. So I think the UFC right now is very interesting with what's going on and the no fans and everything that's going on around that. And I, I think it's something that's interesting, and I think we need to keep on promoting UFC, and, and hopefully these fights continue on. Hopefully Dana White can keep putting these fights on. So so we can keep watching UFC, especially <clears throat> with the way the UFC is going and how good it's been. You know, we had the 
the positive COVID-19 test to start, you know, with the, with the, with the very beginning of this, but I think those are going to dwindle down as we go on. Uh, we can only hope that anyway, uh, you know, they're taking the proper steps with the social distancing. There's no fans. There are not very many media outlet coverage. You know, obviously we're able to watch on TV. There's those people there, but I'm sure they're all wearing the proper PPE and doing what they need to do as well. So a lot of good things on the USC. Hoping to find more bigger fights uh, to promote. Hopefully, UFC 251. We get a we get a Nurmagomedov. We get <clears throat> you know something along those lines. Uh, even a Jorge Masvidal. I know Masvidal is biting at the bit to get back at it as well. So uh, it'd be nice to see those guys back in the ring soon. Uh, it'll be nice to see Amanda Nunez do her thing uh, this weekend in the ring as well. So <clears throat> excited to see what happens in UFC 250 this weekend. So now I want to get on to some MLB stuff. You know, the MLB has kind of been in some pretty big turmoil <clears throat> over the last couple weeks between the Players Association saying what they want to do and basically baseball trying to add more pay cuts than what they already did. You know, they're not sure what's going to happen with, with baseball. You know, and there's been reports that some owners have said they're okay with shutting the season down completely. Um you know, there's gonna like I said, there's gonna be an MLB Players Association proposal, and they have they have already moved for that, which I'll go over in just a second. MLB is gonna come back with what they plan and what they want to do. Um, all in all, baseball is probably the hardest sport to bring back. There's so many different things involved with this. Uh, I don't know if they're gonna be able to get it to work or not to where they can have an extended season. So right now, the MLB is planning to propose a fifty around fifty game season. And this will get players their full prorated share of their salaries, which again, you're still only going to be looking at like one third of what they were originally supposed to get for their salary in 2020. Um, but a pay cut and another pay cut that the players don't want it. They're not having it. So, you know, the players want to do a 114 game season, uh, which leaves a higher value for double headers so they can play games. Uh, the MLB Players Association would then have to sign off on explaining the playoffs from 10 to 14 teams, which could then increase revenue from TV broadcast, uh, you know, which would then get in, you know, the availability for more money to be made with the revenue that they can make from the commercial wise of these things. Um, I don't know if this is going to work. You know, I just don't know if there's any way that we can get all 30 teams in a certain area. You know, I'm not sure how they're going to be able to make it work with the location-wise of all this. I think the money thing is also a really huge factor. I just don't know if they're going to be able to pull together the money and what they need to do if they're willing to take a loss. You know, that's on them. I know some, again, like some owners have said, they're willing to take a loss on the season. But you just, I mean, are they really willing to see that and do that when they see how bad the numbers are going to be for the losses that they're going to take? I mean, you got to think 162 game season, you know, they're going to basically be cutting that into three quarters. I mean, you're going to be playing almost half, three quarters of those games, a quarter of those games, excuse me, 50 game season. So, which means that they're basically, they would have to try to extend their playoffs. And they were going to have to do anything they can to try to get more games, to try to increase increase revenue, to try to get these teams paid. And I think that's the biggest thing for the MLB. They're worried about not getting their pay. They're worried about what they can do. And and um, they're worried about how they're going to be able to get paid. And I think that's the biggest thing with these with these baseball players is <clears throat> with these contracts, they're guaranteed money. They're used to getting all their guaranteed money. 
Right now, they might not be getting their guaranteed money. They're getting their pay cuts, and they're not used to this going on. And I, and I think they're frustrated by it. And you know what? They, by all means, they're allowed to be frustrated by it. They're not playing their season. You know, this this is going to be past this season. Major League Baseball is going to be affected by this in the 2021 season as well. Are we even going to get fans during that time? I mean... This is this is this is so much bigger than and than 2020 when it comes to you're looking at sports season right now. Basketball is trying to get in their NBA finals and the at the start of October, which is normally when they would be starting their season. So everything matters right now because it's going to affect next season as well and I think that's what everybody's considering about how this is going to work. Hey, if we do this right now, how are we going to be able to get started when we want to get started next season? And you got to think when it comes to baseball, weather's a factor. You can't put all 30 teams in a dome. Weather's going to be a huge factor. You're not going to be able to play games outside in December and stuff like that in baseball. You know, unless you're playing out west, of course, even then it's going to be still a little on the chilly side. And that's where this time frame really comes into play. You know, how how are they going to be able to make this work in time so that they can work out a deal? That's the key factor in all this is is the time frame. You cannot play too many games to where your season is going to be dragging out in the middle of October, November, and December because you're only going to be able to play certain games at certain stadiums. And if those places are strong, are strong, more strongly affected by COVID-19, they're, they're not going to be able to do that. So the way I see it, the MLB has to find a way to be able to, to come to an agreement of some kind to, to be able to make a decision on this and say, hey, look, you know, we, we either have to take our one pay cut and play the games they want us to play so we can get a season in or we're going to cancel the season and have nothing. Now, I think some players don't or would be okay with that, maybe the older guys, but I know there's a lot of younger guys who want to get their reps. There's been over 150 players in the minor leagues that have already been cut because they can't make their money. There's no way to pay these guys. We can't keep them around if we can't pay them. There's a lot of baseball players out there below the major league level that are losing their jobs because the major league baseball funding is not there right now from all the outside revenue, which is why I think it's interesting that these owners are okay with shutting down a season. Is how how do you plan on getting these players back to your organizations next year? You got single A, you got double A, you got triple A, you got the majors. People are just looking at major league baseball starting their season, but what they don't understand with the major league baseball season comes single A, double A, triple A. Now they might not be doing those this year, but those are things you have to think about in the, in the in the upcoming, in the future. What happens next year to AAA teams? With no revenue made this year, are we going to be able to pay AAA players to play baseball next year? Now, we're still having an MLB draft. We're having it uh, over internet-wise, whatever, however they're planning on doing it. But this is going to affect so much more than the 2020 season, and it's 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 just it's interesting, you know. And they have to they have to decide this soon, or it's not going to be able to get done because the time frame is going to be it's it's going to be gone. How are they going to play baseball without the ability to play baseball? They 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 can't stuff too many teams in one area. They're not going to be all able to go out west because out west is where all this is the worst at. This is what's interesting to me. How are they going to be able to do this if they're going to be able to do this? They want the season to start on June 30th, July, August, September. You're looking at getting into the cold weather in October. You're going to play 50 games in three months 
or you're going to play more than that in four months. You're going to be pushing into the cold weather, or you're going to be playing double headers. Do these guys want to be playing two, three, four double headers a week to get in these games for a hundred game season? That is the big question there. And and again, when your players are looking at a potential salary cut of one third of what they were planning on originally getting, you're gonna find players who are frustrated. You're gonna find players who don't want to take the pay cut. And it's gonna be a madhouse. The players association has to find a way to make it work. I don't know if they're going to be able to do it to correlate with what the MLB wants to do. I don't know if they're going to be able to work out a deal. And I don't know if we're going to be able to get baseball season in. I I, I want to sit here and say, guys, I, I think we're going to get baseball and I think they're going to get a deal done. But I just don't know if there's going to be a middle ground that the Players Association and the league itself can stand on that they're going to be able to make this work. And I think... This is why we want to keep following this. The more information I get, I'll continue to pass along to you guys. If you have a free minute and you're really interested in it and you want to look at this, Jeff Passan from ESPN has done an entire thing on there about the salary, about what kind of pay cuts the MLB would be looking at, the players, the owners. The, I mean, everything is on that thing. It's very nerdy-esque. If you're into that kind of stuff, if you want to check it out, go to ESPN.com and look at that stuff. Again, Jeff, Jeff Passan, great stuff from him. If you want to see what kind of salary and money and, and, and numbers that they're going to be looking at for the season. Now, uh, to go with some baseball stuff, uh, I want to do this day in history. And, you know, this clip uh, that I'm going to play for you guys is going to be about two minutes long. Uh, I want you to bear with me. You know, I thought about playing a few different ones, but, you know, this one I think really sums it up. Um, You know, it's honestly hard for me to describe the emotion that I felt uh, watching this happen um, back on June 6th, or excuse me, back on June 2nd, uh, 2010, this happened. Safe at first base. You make the call. 
So my sports this day in history moment on June second two thousand or yeah excuse me June second two thousand ten Armando Galarraga uh, went twenty eight up and twenty eight down in my opinion um, as you heard uh, the call at first base Jim Joyce ruled the Indians base runner safe at first base on a play where you could. Just tell, I mean, the Galarraga's foot on the bag, Miguel Cabrera's throw on time by at least a step, Jim Joyce making that call. I remember watching the game live, watching the perfect game unfold, just the entire thing. It still to this day uh, gives me chills seeing this highlight, and I know how bad Jim Joyce felt about this. Because uh, he publicly came out and said he blew it, and how how terrible he felt for Armando Galarraga. Uh, you know, after the game, you know there were several Tigers players in Jim Joyce's face. Jim Leland, the manager of the Detroit Tigers at the time, uh, in Jim Joyce's face. There, uh, you know, when I think about this, I, you know, I really wanted to do this for this day in history because I wanted to really clarify that I I truly believe that this play fermented the the use of or cemented the use of the of the replay in baseball forever if the replay exists when this play happens Armando Galarraga has a perfect game and if they blew the call the Indians could have thrown the challenge and bowed for that perfect game because there's no way that you could take that away from that young man um Austin Jackson, as you heard in the video, Austin Jackson with just a spectacular catch in left center field to start off the ninth inning. Just an unbelievable play. And then for that to happen like that, um, just one of the most unbelievable moments I've ever seen in baseball. Uh, just just have that unfold like that. And, you know, the next game, they, they played the Indians. It was a day game. You know, Armando Galarraga brought out the... Uh, the lineup card for the Tigers, and you know they they shared a hug and shared a moment, you know, which was true sportsmanship uh, for Armando Galarraga, you know, uh, you know somebody that could have handled it bad, and uh, and just you know really just crazy scenario for that to happen, and honestly, you know, of all the perfect games in Major League Baseball history, I think this is the most talked about one and it wasn't even uh, a true true perfect game like I, I mean the blown call there Armando Galarraga does get that next out but I mean just the, a crazy scenario uh, and as you heard the Tigers announce that they're Mario Mario and Pemba and Rod Allen just beside themselves seeing the replay um, just an unbelievable call really and, and again one of the calls that will go down is one of the most famous blown calls in the history of any sports in my opinion um, again causing Major League Baseball I firmly believe that this caused Major League Baseball to get the replay to so they can create correct mistakes such as this one um, fell for Armando Galarraga the Tigers ended up winning the game 3-0 to zero, but just an unbelievable situation there. And, and, you know, Jim Joyce, a 30-year umpire, I believe, you know, just you wouldn't expect that guy to make that call. He did uh, an unfortunate event, but now uh, that gives us a reason to talk about it. And it also gives the MLB the reason to do the replay. And I think, you know, that's something special that came out of it. So 
That is my This Day in History. Now, I was supposed to do this yesterday, uh, so I wanted to go over some of the stuff that I had yesterday on June 1st, 2012. Johan Santana threw the first no-hitter in New York Mets' 50-year MLB history with an 8-0 win over the St. Louis Cardinals. Um, on June 1st, 1982, Ricky Henderson stole two bases and a 3-2 win over the Red Sox to become the fastest player to reach 50 stolen bases in her Major League Baseball season. Uh, I thought those two things were pretty cool. Um, Tom Holland, uh, actor, uh, plays the new Spider-Man, turned 24. And Morgan Freeman um, turned 83 yesterday as well. I, I wanted to talk about this as well. On June 1st, 1968, uh, Helen Keller passed away. So, you know, I thought those things were really interesting. So I know they're not this day in history, but I was supposed to do this yesterday. So I had them down. I wanted to share them with you anyway because I thought they were really interesting. Um, so that's that. And this day in history is brought to you. Uh, by Dorian Hooker's Pro Day Performance Training. Uh, you can get a hold of my guys, Dorian Hooker, 419-290-5716, or my guy, Jordan Burdue at 419-966-7335. Um, you know, they've trained several Division One athletes to scholarships. Uh, they've helped a ton of people lose weight and meet their weight goals. Uh, you can get a session with Dorian. You can get a session with Jordan. Uh, you can get a session with Jordan for one hour for $30. Uh, or you can uh, save a bunch of money with a huge deal. You can get 15 sessions for $250, which is about a $200 savings there if you want to go that route. Um, you know, uh, it, it's a, a Dorian Hooker's Pro Day Performance Training over on State Route 64 in Waterville, Ohio. I'm telling you, if you want to meet your weight loss goals, if you want to meet your fitness goals and work with amazing people, uh, contact Dorian Hooker again, 419-290-5716 or Jordan Burdue at 419-966-7335. That's Dorian Hooker's Pro Day Performance Training. Um, now I want to talk to you about you know the hot topic of the night, and that's uh you know the NFL stuff. You know I want to get into some of my predictions. You know you know some of these people out there are doing their predictions based on the stats and the strength of schedule from last year, uh, and you know certain kind of numbers like that as well. Uh, I'm kind of taking more of an of an opinion based approach at this. You know I'm kind of just throwing in who I think uh, is going to be really good. You know, as far as the scheduling that I looked at, the acquisitions that I've seen that teams made in the offseason, uh, again, I've talked about a few of those teams that I like a lot uh, to start out the season with. You know, I, I've mentioned the, a few of those teams on previous episodes, uh, such as the Dolphins. I like what they did in the offseason. I also like what the Buffalo Bills did a lot in their offseason as well. Uh, so so those are things that I wanted to talk about. I, I want to get to these division stuff, and I want to start – with the AFC North, because I think the AFC North is going to be one of the tougher divisions. Um, in my predictions in the AFC North, I only had one team winning over 10 games. That was the Baltimore Ravens. Um, before I get into too much of the record-wise, I want to just go over a few things for each team. You know, let's talk about the Browns first. You know, my, my Cleveland Browns. You know, in my opinion, I think this is a, a must-prove season for Baker Mayfield. I think he has a lot of new faces over there, so it's going to take some time to be familiar with them. I get that. I understand that. Uh, from his rookie season where he set the, the broke the uh, rookie touchdown record from, held by Peyton Manning uh, to going to last year and just, you know, having a really down season, you know, really not meeting the tasks that everybody thought that they were going to they were going to be. Uh, they were a mediocre 7-8 and 1. Uh, with that tie, you know, they lost the, the Bengals at the end of the season last year, which I'm sure you, if you ask them, they, they you know, probably kicking themselves about. Uh, you know, to be honest with you, 
the additions that the Cleveland Browns made were tremendous. They have an above-average defense, in my opinion. They have a great offense. Um, they they got great offensive acquisitions to go on that offense, uh, such as Austin Hooper at the tight end position and Jack Coughlin um, at the tackle position, which they addressed. They needed a, a better offensive tackle. They got that with the trade from Tennessee. Um, Jack Conklin, uh, again, they also uh, up their defensive side of the ball. Now, I think they had an above-average defense last year. They were they were struggling at the linebacker core. I still think we need to get better at the linebacking core, which is why I think my record reflects what it does. I'm not sure how they're going to be on defense. They did add a ton of defense uh, to them for the offseason. Kev, uh, quarterback Kevin Johnson, defensive tackle Andrew Billings, uh, safety Grant Delpit, you know, the... Uh, you know, Grant Delpit, defensive end Adrian Claiborne, safety Carl Joseph, uh, and on the offensive side, adding Andy Janovitz at fullback, I think is going to be crucial. I think they're going to keep him in to help block for Baker Mayfield at times. Uh, uh, quarterback Case Keenum, you know, I think people are, are keeping Case Keenum under the radar with the Brown system right now. You know, Kevin Stefanski worked with Case Keenum a lot in Minnesota. You know, I think this keeps Baker honest a lot, um, especially, like I said, you know, Case Keenum, Minnesota Miracle. That was Kevin Stefanski, and I think Kevin Stefanski really has a lot of faith in Case Keenum. Now, you know, Minnesota had a probably a little bit better offensive line than the Browns, probably a little bit better running game than the Browns, but hey, let's put it this way, Nick Chubb was second last year in rushing yards. He was second last year in rushing yards, and Derrick Henry had to have 200 and some odd yard rushing in the end, in the last game of the season last year to surpass Nick Chubb in rushing yards. So the Browns have a very, very capable running game, and I think Case Keenum succeeds on that like he did in Minnesota. Look, Case Keenum had a bad season last year in Washington. They had no running game. Most of their running backs were hurt all season. Adrian Peterson is a workhorse, but he's older now. He he can't he can't carry the ball 30 times a game like he was doing when he was playing in Minnesota back in the day. They had to re- rely on a lot of no-name running backs who couldn't step up in big situations. Darius Geis was hurt, and if he stays healthy, I think their running game gets better. But but what I'm talking about with the Browns is they have a very very capable running game, and I think they improved on both sides of the ball, especially their defense. They brought Miles Garrett back. They did a great job in the draft getting getting the corner from Louisville. I, I love what the Browns did in the offseason, especially because Kevin Stefanski coming over. He's going to bring a new system in. He's going to bring the new face Browns an interesting look. And look, I'm telling you right now, it's do or die for Baker Mayfield. You either have to improve this season. You got to win nine or ten games. I got the Browns with everything going. I got the Browns at nine and seven. I think they're going to struggle at the beginning of the year. I do. There's a lot of new faces. They got a lot of things to get going. When I look at their schedule, they have very winnable games to start the season. They have a tough game at Baltimore to start, but then they play Cincinnati, Washington, Dallas, Indianapolis. Those are four winnable games. I picked them winning three out of four. I have them losing on the road at Dallas. I think Dallas's running game is great. I think they're going to chop up Cleveland. If the Bengals ran for 240 yards against against the Browns last year, imagine what the Cowboys are going to do to them with that stout running game. Now, yes, I just talked about how much better the Browns got on defense. I do. I believe that. But the Cowboys running game in the first four weeks, they're not going to be accustomed to each other. It's going to take five or six weeks for this Browns team, this Browns defense with a lot of new faces on it, to see what they're capable of. 
I think we're still weak at the linebacker position. We got to get a linebacker that we can trust to go out there and and run around like Joe Schobert. We don't have Joe Schobert. We're going to struggle on defense at times. I, I believe that. We have great corners. We have a great defensive backfield. We have great defensive line. But we can't run a nickel and expect to stop the running game. I understand Denzel Ward can fill. I understand Carl Joseph can hit. He can fill as well. But if you don't have guys at the linebacker spot that can stop the run at the second level, you're going to struggle in the NFL. You have to be able to play man-to-man defense on the outside with Denzel Ward and those other guys that the Browns picked up this offseason. Grant Delpit, trust him out there at safety. Now we have a true safety. We don't have a Jabil Preppers out there playing hybrid. We have a true defensive system. And I think Minnesota's defense was pretty good. As Kevin Stefanski, you know, I understand he's a head coach. He's not the defensive coordinator. But these are things to keep in mind when you're talking about the Browns. I like the Browns. I picked them at 9-7. and seven. Again, I think they're going to struggle at times. Um, this is where I think their tough stretch lies. Week 10, 11, 12, and 13. And 14, actually, as well. Those five weeks, um, home against Houston, home against Philly. Uh, both tough games. I think Philly's going to be good this year. I think Houston's going to be good this year. Jacksonville, I think they're weak on the road. I think Cleveland gets that win. And then they go to Tennessee. Ten- Again, they're going to struggle against the run at times. Tennessee, great running game. Baltimore, the following week. Uh, you know, at home against Baltimore, they have a great chance to win this game. I mean, look, the Browns can easily be ten and six, eleven and five. I really believe that. It depends on how their defense comes together. We're gonna find out. Let's move on. Cincinnati Bengals. Look, I like what the Bengals did in the offseason as well, as far as their draft. But they didn't acquire any big names, in my opinion, outside of the draft. Look at Joe Burrow. I like Joe Burrow. I think Joe Burrow is going to have a nice season for the Bengals. I do. Is he Superman? We're going to find out what Joe Burrow was made of. Now, I think the Bengals are an interesting story. Their schedule, tough schedule, off of a two win season. What are your expectations in Cincinnati? They got Joe Burrow in the offseason. Is A.J. Green going to healthy? I think they have an above-average defense. They have a good set of DBs. They have a good defensive line. Sam Hubbard, he's a great defensive lineman. They got Geno Atkins, a great defensive tackle. Those are two threats to rush the passer, to stop the running game for Cincy. I don't know if they're going to – I don't know if they have the linebackers – But I think their defense is going to keep them around in games that they shouldn't be in. I think Cincinnati is going to run a lot of shotgun. I mean, let's face it. They ran a spread offense at Louisville last year for Joe Burrow because he had weapons on the outside. I don't know if Cincinnati has... I'm going to be wild to say this, but I don't know if Cincinnati has the core to do that. I don't. Was LSU's wide receiving core better last year than the Bengals' wide receiving core is going to be this year? I don't know. Is A.J. Green going to play? That's that's where it gets interesting for Cincinnati. If they got weapons on the outside, I, I mean, I know they got Boyd, but he can't do it all by himself. Is John Ross going to be able to catch the ball? I don't know. I like Joe Mixon. I like Joe Giovanni Bernard. I think that's a good mix-up. I think they need to play Joe Mixon more. I think they need to give Joe Mixon the ball more. They need to establish the run. Well, Joe Burrow didn't establish the run. 
in college. He's going to have to get used to that. Again, that's where Cincinnati's going to struggle. But I think their defense is going to keep them in some games. They're going to win more than two games. I believe that. Bengals are 5-11 and this year. They're going to have a tough route. But I think there's games they're going to sneak. I think they're going to sneak a game at Pittsburgh. I think they're going to sneak a game at Washington. They're going to win at home against the Giants. They're going to beat Jacksonville as well. I don't like Jacksonville this year. I'm nervous about Jacksonville this year. They could be the worst team in the league this year, in my opinion. I don't like what Jacksonville's done. They got rid of Nick Foles. They're going to keep Gardner Minshew. We're going to see what Minshew Mania is all about. Is he going to be able to start 16 games next year? We're going to find out. I don't like the Jags. The Bengals are going to beat the Jags. I think they can beat the Colts. I got them losing to the Colts, but they can win that game. That's a def- that's a game their defense could keep them in. Phillip Rivers is not going to be on his feet. I'm telling you. Interesting. Bengals. Five wins. Five and 11. Moving on. Baltimore Ravens. Let's talk about them. They were the hot team last year. Hot team last year. Meltdown in the playoffs. They're basically the same look Ravens. Now, they added some very key defensive pieces where I think they struggled last year in the playoffs against the run. These acquisitions, I think, are going to be helpful to that. Derek Wolf, defensive end. Jimmy Smith, cornerback. Kalias Campbell, huge signing. They're taking away from Jacksonville. Another reason I don't like Jacksonville this year. Kalias Campbell's going to be huge in Baltimore. Wait. We're going to find out in their first week matchup against the Browns. I love that matchup. Ladies and gentlemen, I think the Ravens are going to win 14, 13 games this year. I personally, 13-3 and for the Ravens this year for me. You know why? I think there's going to be some games they lose. They're at home against Tennessee. They're going to lose against Tennessee at home. They play at home against Kansas City in the third week of the season. Baltimore has as exciting of a schedule as any team in the NFL in week one, two, and three. Home against Cleveland, on the road versus Houston, and home against Kansas City on Monday night. It doesn't get much better than that. That's a great schedule to kick off the season for Baltimore. You're going to find out what Baltimore's made of. And if you don't recall, who were one of the two teams that beat Baltimore last year? My Cleveland Browns. Week one. I'm excited for that matchup. We're going to find out again what both of these teams are made of. This could be one of the better games of the season. Week one. Can't wait. Baltimore Ravens, 13-3. and Moving on. The Pittsburgh Steelers. You know, this is an interesting topic. The Pittsburgh Steelers are interesting to me. You know, when you look at what they did in the offseason, you know, not too many serious acquisitions... But I think they address spots that they needed to address. The Pittsburgh Steelers, they got a great fullback in Derek Watt. Who's gonna, who do you think is going to stand back there and protect Big Ben? They're going to move their running backs, James Conner and Jalen Samuels, into a slot position, in my opinion, into a slot position, and they're going to put Derek Watt in the backfield and say, hey, protect our quarterback. We saw it what happens when Pittsburgh goes loses Big Ben. 
We saw it. We saw what they did last year. They didn't even have decent quarterbacks last year, and they were still 500. The Pittsburgh Steelers were 500 last year when they didn't have a starting quarterback. They went between Mason Rudolph and Devlin Duck Hodges last year, who are still 2-3 and three on the depth chart right behind my guy Ben Roethlisberger. Is this it for Big Ben? That's what everybody wants to know. Is this Big, Big Ben's last go-around? That's the interesting story here. But think about this. Most of the games they won last year were there because of their defense. Their defense didn't go anywhere. So I think based on their defense, they're going to win eight games again. They, there's no possible way they could get worse with Big Ben at the quarterback spot. They got to be able to win eight games. They got Chase Claypool in the draft from Notre Dame, who's a big target. He's a good route runner. He's a red zone threat if if they're if they're going to play him. We're going to find out. Is Juju Smith-Schuster going to be healthy? That's my biggest question mark with the Steelers. Where is their offensive production going to come from? Are they going to have a good running game with James Conner? Is it going to be more effective with Big Ben Roethlisberger at the helm? We're going to find out. That's what's interesting here. That's what I want to see. Where is the offensive production going to come from? Their defense is going to be great. Pittsburgh Steelers, 9-7. and seven. Weeks 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7 for Pittsburgh. Home against Denver. Home against Houston. Tough games. On the road at Tennessee. Tough game. At home versus Philly. Tough game. At home versus Cleveland. Tough game. And then on the road at Baltimore. I mean, those six games right there could be two and four for the Steelers. And their season, at the end of the season, doesn't get all that much easier. They got to play Baltimore again. They got to play the Browns again. They got to play Buffalo. Who knows? Maybe towards the end of the season. Colts, week 16. They'll figure some stuff out. It'd be scary down the road. Steelers, 9-7. So the Browns, 9-7. Steelers, 9-7. Bengals, 5-11. Ravens winning the division at 13-3. Uh, Browns, Steelers can, you know, mix and match there between the 9-7, depending on who wins the two games between those guys, which I think is going to determine who does get second in this division. Could also determine who gets a wild card spot out of this division, as, division, as you keep in mind they up the, t- uh, the playoff teams to another team. So that's something interesting to keep thinking about. I don't think you're going to get another team out of the West on their division leader. I mean, the Broncos and the Chiefs, I think, are going to be the best team there. And I don't know if the Broncos are going to be able to get a wild card spot. We'll see. Um, Let's move on here. Uh, We're going to go on to the AFC East. Interesting division. I I really like this one. And I only had one team over 500, and, and that's my favorite team out of this division, the Buffalo Bills. I've talked up my Dolphins. With that being said, the Dolphins have an incredibly hard schedule this year. So I don't know how they're going to do. It's Flores' first year as as a full head coach. So we're going to see how he handles the turmoil with that. It'll be interesting to see. Let's go over with the Dolphins. Um, Their offseason acquisitions were absolutely phenomenal. Uh, Running back Matt Breida. 
Byron Jones, Kyle Van Oy at linebacker, running back Jordan Howard, defensive end Emmanuel Agba, defensive end Shaq Lawson, quarterback Tua Tango-Vailoa, off, offensive tackle Austin Jackson. I mean, this is exactly what Miami at wanted. They got crazy good offseason acquisitions. They upgraded at the running back position. They got two starting running backs. In my opinion, Jordan Howard and Matt Breida can start on any team in the league if they wanted to. Kyle Van Hoy, an experienced linebacker. Byron Jones, the highest paid DB in the league. They have good linebackers there to go with Kyle Van Hoy. They just added two defensive starters in Shaq Lawson and Emmanuel Akba. I love what Miami's doing. Their schedule is crazy hard. I got the Dolphins at 7-9. and nine. I know they're going to struggle, though. 1-2, and two, New England and Buffalo. Then the next six weeks after they play Jacksonville, on the road, who I have them winning on a Thursday night, they're at home versus Seattle, on the road in San Francisco, on the road in Denver, at home versus the Chargers, at home versus the Rams, on the road at Arizona, and at home versus the Jets before their bye week in Week 11. And then it doesn't get easy, any easier after that. they got to play Kansas City, New England, Buffalo again, the Raiders again. Look, I mean, they're going to struggle at times. But they're going to beat teams. I like I like Miami. I got them beating. I got them beating the Chargers. I got them beating the Rams. I don't know how the Rams are going to be this year. I think it's going to be a struggle for them at times. I do. I don't know how they're going to be. I think the loss of Todd Gurley hurts them more than people realize. They still have Aaron Donald though. Miami Dolphins tough schedule. I mean, tough man. A lot of games on here. At Arizona, I think they're going to win that. It's going to be a tough battle. Every one of them. Dolphins, 7-9. Let's move on to my favorite team in the East. The Buffalo Bills. I like Buffalo. I got them at 10-6. You know, some of their offseason acquisitions. Stephon Diggs. You want a deep target? We'll get you Stephon Diggs. I think Josh Allen is the quarterback with the most to prove right now in the NFL. I firmly believe that. They went out and got you Stephon Diggs. They got a be- uh, a couple of guys to add to their defense. Josh Norman, EJ Gaines, AJ Espanza in the draft. I thought that's a great pickup from Iowa. Look, they got TJ Yeldon at running back to lose uh, to coincide with losing Frank Gore. They're stacked around Jared Allen. I mean, you got Dawson Knox, Stephon Diggs, John Brown, Devin Singletary, Cole Beasley in the slot. You got weapons all over the field. Their defense didn't get any worse. I thought their defense was one of the best defense in the leagues last in the league last year. I'm excited for the Bills. Look at I mean, look what Josh Allen is did last year. You know, he, they struggled at times. Don't get me wrong. He's still a new guy. You know, he's still a young guy. He's gonna have bumps in the road. But I love what Josh Allen has the capability to do in Buffalo. I love it. I think the sky is the limit there. Devin Singletary coming into his second year. He had a great rookie season last year. Yes, he had Frank Gore to coincide with that. But I think he's going to get a lot of touches. TJ Yeldon's going to be more of the third down back. Devin Singletary is going to get a lot of carries. He's going to have a lot of good things go his way because of those things. He's going to get a lot of carries. He's going to have a lot of things to show what he's capable of doing this year. And I love that. Stephon digs a deep threat. Well, they don't want to split time with Adam Thielen. Well, here you go, Stephon. You're going to be the main guy out there in Buffalo. We're going to be slinging it 20 yards downfield because Josh Allen's 6'5 and has the arm talent to do it. I can't wait to watch the Buffalo Bills in action this year. 
I got them at 10 and 6 because they're going to have some decent decent bumps in the road in their schedule. Hell, they got to play the Rams. They got to play the Raiders. Tennessee, uh, the Raiders and Tennessee both on the road. They play Kansas City at home, thankfully, but still, that's Kansas City. You got to play the Patriots twice at home versus Seattle. On the road in Arizona, those are tough games. They play San Francisco, Pittsburgh, Denver down the road, Miami down the road. Those are going to be tough games. They're going to run into some bumps. They're going to have to win down the stretch their last six games. Um, And these are the interesting ones. The Chargers, the Niners, the Steelers, the Broncos, the Patriots, and the Dolphins. Could be one of the toughest six-game schedules remaining in the league. We'll be able to find out. Bills, 10-6. and Um, Patriots, interesting story. Jared Stidham. I think Baker Mayfield has a better chance of getting the Browns to the playoffs than Jared Stidham. I think Josh Allen has a better chance of getting the Bills to the playoffs. Excited to see what the Patriots do this year. They have the toughest schedule according to strength of schedule. Miami, Seattle, Raiders, Chiefs, Broncos. First five games. Could be the toughest five games to start the season. Then they have a bye week in week six. You think it gets easier? No. They play the Jets. Uh, their next uh, one, two, three, four, five, six games, seven, eight, nine games actually of a nine-game stretch for the Patriots. They play at home versus the Niners, on the road versus the Bills and the Jets, which I think they'll beat the Jets. At home versus the Ravens, on the road in Houston, at home versus the Cardinals, who I think are going to be a tough out for every team this year. Then they play at the Chargers, at the Rams, at the Dolphins. Home against Buffalo. New England Patriots. Very, very tough schedule. No Tom Brady. It's going to be difficult for them. And I'm thinking, you know, they did get some good acquisitions. You know, they re-signed Patrick Chung. Uh, they got Devin McCourty back. They have a, still have a strong defense under a, under a good system. But it's, it's Stidham's job to lose. Jared Stidham, Brian Hoyer, Brian Lewerke on the depth chart there in New England. Who's going to step up? If Jared Stidham can't do it, that's what we're going to find out. Patriots, 6-10. and 10, They're going to struggle. Tough, tough schedule. Go on to the Jets, who I think Sam Darnold has to make a statement this year. He has to. We're 100 days out now. He's going to have to make a statement. Sam Darnold's going to have to play out of his mind this year, if you ask me. In my opinion, Sam Darnold's going to have to play out of his mind. He has to be better. I know he missed time last year. He has to play. He has to play all 16 games. If the Jets want to be successful, he has to play all 16 games this year. I don't have the Jets being very good. I think they're going to win four games. They have a tough schedule as well. I don't think they're going to be very good. I don't. I, they didn't get a lot of offseason acquisitions. They signed Joe Flacco in the offseason because I don't know if they're confident in Sam Darnold anymore. Already. He's a first-round draft pick, and I don't know if they have faith in him right now. It's interesting to me because I truly don't know if they believe in him. That's why they got Joe Flacco, who's a veteran guy, a one-year deal. They signed Frank Gore to coincide with Le'Veon Bell. I think that's a nice pickup. I think Frank Be- Frank Gore can offset any good running back. They re-signed Brashad Perriman at wide receiver. But they have a bunch of no, unknown wide receivers. They didn't go pick up a no-name guy. They didn't get a good wide receiver in the draft. I don't know where the Jets are going with this. Sam Darnold has to prove a lot. They're going to have to lean on Le'Veon Bell. 
you know, what, what is Sam Darnold going to be able to do if Le'Veon Bell is not doing very well? And if Sam Darnold doesn't do well, Joe Flacco is going to keep him honest. He's a veteran guy. He's been to a Super Bowl. I think Joe Flacco signing is interesting. Is Sam Darnold really the guy for the Jets? He's a first-round draft pick. We're going to find out. I, I like it. It's interesting. Jets. Four and twelve, Patriots six and ten, Bills ten and six, Dolphins seven and nine. Bills win the division. No wild card out of this division, though. You know, so I think there's a lot of good things and a lot of interesting things that we're that we're going to be coming to talk about here um, in the next few episodes as well. I can't wait to get into some different divisions as well because I, I honestly think this year could be one of the better years in the NFL. I don't think there's going to be a lot of bad, bad teams. I know I just gave you a, a couple of teams there that were quite under 500, but I think the rest of this this is going to work itself out, um, You know, other than maybe Jacksonville, who I think is going to have a bad year. Uh, the Colts might have a bit of a down year, but other than that, I think the rest of these teams on this list have a pretty good chance of winning a lot of games. Um, the Lions included, I think the Panthers could be pretty good this year. Uh, you know, we're going to get into those, uh, those teams a little later. We're going to, uh, finish up. Uh, actually we won't finish up, but we're going to go over the AFC South next week or on uh, next episode. We'll cover the AFC South and, uh, we will also... Uh, get into the uh, AFC West, so we will finish up the AFC um, and uh, finish those those divisions out on our next episode. Uh, so so stay tuned with me on those uh, for those predictions. Um, again, for the AFC North, I got the Ravens winning it all, and then for the AFC East, I had the the Bills winning it all. I really like the Bills this year. I've said it again. I'll say I'll say it time and time again. I'm a firm believer in what and what they're doing there. I love Jared Allen a lot. I'm a firm believer in what he can do at the quarterback spot. It'll be interesting to see how he can keep maturing and growing. Uh, so to finish out the episode tonight, we're going to do our alphabet starting lineup and six man. Um, this week we we do, we're doing R. You know this was this was pretty difficult between a few players. Here and there, um, you know, a lot of guys that are near and dear to me in the sport, actually, it was very hard uh, to pick these, but I did so based off of the team that I would want to start with and, like, how I would want to go by it. So my point guard was, uh, starting at point guard was Rajon Rondo. Uh, you know, a lot of people might suggest, you know, that I'm a little strange for saying Rajon Rondo because I, you know, I... When you look at Rajon Rondo, you think, you know, not a guy that scored, you know, 20-plus points a game. You know, he really wasn't that guy. But, you know, other than that, you know, he was everything you'd want in a point guard. I mean, his assist averages above 10. You know, there were games that this man would have, you know, he might only have 8 points, 10 points, but he would have 20 assists and 15 rebounds. I mean, this guy was the epitome of being a team player point guard without having to score. He was always setting his teammates up. He was he was always getting rebounds. He was sticking his nose in there trying to rebound the basketball. You know, he's everything you wanted in a, you know, basically in that situation. So, so I think, I think, Rajon Rondo really set it in stone for me for the point guard spot. And I know a lot of people could say, well, what about Russell Westbrook? Look, I'm a big fan of Russell Westbrook. He plays 
probably harder than any other player in the NBA. He's always full go 100% of the time. I love Russell Westbrook. I'm not discarding Russell Westbrook, but if I want a point guard uh, to go with the team that I have, I want Rajon Rondo. And when I say that, my shooting guard, you know, my shooting guard picking this was probably one of the harder decisions I'll have to make in these starting lineups. You know, I went with Ray Allen over Reggie Miller. It was a very tough decision. You know, Ray Allen, you know, a tremendous three-point shooter, broke Reggie Miller's three-point record. You know, Ray Allen was a stud on defense his first few years with the Bucks and the Supersonics. And, you know, Reggie Miller, a hard-nosed player in his own right. You know, not very many guys worked harder than Reggie Miller on the court. I mean, just it was very hard for me to pick, but I picked Ray Allen. Uh, my small forward, I, I went with I went with Rick Barry, uh, you know, a, a 24-8 guy at small forward. You know, Rick Barry was a, was a monster back in the day. You know, he was just able to do a lot of things on the court. You know, you could you could put him at power forward if you needed to. You could move him to shooting guard. You know, he was just a, a very unique player, uh, especially at that time. Uh, you know, so the, I went with Rick Barry, you know, 24 guy, 24 career scorer. So 24-point career scorer, uh, you know, so everything you wanted, uh, you know, when it came to that small forward position. So my other starting spot for power forward which was my other you know I you know I don't know if if you know I wasn't sure honestly so what I went with I went with Rudy Gobert at power forward this was very tough for me you know I wanted to go with Rashid Wallace but I honestly think that Rudy Gobert might be a little bit better of a defensive player blocking shots and getting steals you know probably not as good as a scorer as Rashid Wallace but again with Rajon Rondo at point guard I want somebody who's going to set up my big guys which is why I put Robert Parrish at center 7-1 just a monster Uh, you know just a huge guy you know you know big presence inside everything you wanted you know for a guy inside Uh, my sixth man you know I could have went Reggie Miller on this one but you know I in my opinion, I went with Richard Hamilton. I love Richard Hamilton. Watching him play Rip Hamilton, especially with the mask those years in Detroit and even when he went to Chicago, you know, his ability to move without the basketball and hit those mid-range jump shots almost with his eyes closed. Uh, it was really just unbelievable to watch. And, and, and what, what he was able to do on the court was sensational. I mean, I know he was, an, he was a 17-point scorer guy. Reggie Miller averaged 18, but... You know, they're. I look at them as virtually the same player. You know, maybe Reggie Miller rebound a little bit better as he had a little bit of a, of a height advantage over Rip Hamilton. But uh, you know, when you watch highlights of those guys, I, I'm pretty sure you you hear Reggie Miller say, you know, it's I'm like guarding my younger self out there, uh, which which in my opinion is just crazy to think about. You know, Rip Hamilton and Reggie Miller played in the playoffs so many times with those fierce battles between Indiana and. In my Pistons and you know those games, Rasheed Wallace, we we win, we will win game two. Uh, you know the the block heard around the world with Tayshawn Prince and just oh man, those are the days watching those guys play. So uh, you know that's why I went Rip Hamilton. You know he had a clutch game winner against the Celtics back then. Uh, you know back in that playoff run. So Rajon Rondo at point guard, Ray Allen at shooting guard, Rick Barry at small forward, Rudy Gobert at power forward, Robert Parrish at center, and Richard Hamilton. At, as my sixth man, and uh, you know, we had some other couple people say Brad Booth. 
uh, had said Ricky Rubio at point guard, Ray Allen at shooting guard, uh, Richard Jefferson at small forward, Rasheed Wallace at power forward, Ralph Sampson at center, and Rod Strickland as a sixth man. Um, so a little bit different there than mine. You know, Richard Jefferson, you know, one of the better small forwards probably in NBA history. Rasheed Wallace, gotta love Rasheed Wallace. Ricky Rubio is a guy, just again, not a guy who who goes out there and gets you 25 points a night, but he's going to go out there and take care of the basketball. He's going to lead your team, uh, which is what you want out of a point guard. Um, uh, my uh, Toby Knight uh, put point guard Russell Westbrook, shooting guard Richard Hamilton, small forward Ron Artest, power forward Robert Ory, center Robert Parrish, and sixth man Ray Allen. Um, Ron Artest is interesting. You know, he's always kind of that bruiser in there that you needed to have on your team to win a championship. Uh, you, uh, you know my feelings on Richard Hamilton and Russell Westbrook. I expressed those earlier. Uh, Robert Orr, Robert Ory, just a great professional, and uh, six man Ray Allen. Like if I got some Ray Allen coming off my bench, I'm going to be pretty happy. So, uh, just a couple other ones that were out there. Um, you know, hoping to get more next time that we do this. I'm not sure what I'm going to go with next time. Uh, we got a couple ones that I don't know if I'm going to be able to do, like Z. Uh, I think I was only able to find a, four Z names of any players that I've ever even heard of. So uh, those are going to be interesting to see what we're going to do there. Uh, my Alphabet lineup game is uh, brought to you by AB Perfectionist Painting uh, for your every painting need. Uh, call call the owner, my buddy Austin Burdue at 419-906-1627. You can send him an email at abperfectionistpainting at gmail.com or you can send him a message on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash abperfectionistpainting. Uh, they clean gutters. They'll paint the exterior part of your house, the interior part of your house. They do power washing. Um, their name really says it all, perfectionists. Uh, they, they they do great work. Uh, if you want to go go online and check out their Facebook, uh, there's great before and after pictures on there, so you can really get a taste for what excellent work you're getting and quality that you're getting. Uh, again, contact the owner, uh, my buddy Austin Burdue at four one nine nine zero six one six two seven. You know, he'll, uh, uh, AB Perfectionist Painting for your every painting need. Uh, so that's gonna do it for me on tonight episode of the Snow Show podcast. I appreciate you for joining me and can't wait to see you next time.